Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is seminary. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so seminary. We haven't really talked about it as its own subject, I don't think. Which is amazing, <laughs> given that we've been doing this for so long. It is kind of amazing. So I know people who have gone to seminary, obviously, a lot of mm-hmm. pastors in my husband's family, but I don't really know much about it itself. So tell me, what is it like? Is it comparable to a four-year college or is it completely different? I wouldn't say that it was completely different in my experience, but the one thing to note is that it's changing a lot. Seminary education in this century and as we continue through it has really needed to adapt and change and take a look at how to be effective and present within our current climate and culture. So there's some changes, but typically for folks to know, the seminary program is a master's level degree. And so you need to have completed your bachelor's degree, your four-year... In anything? In anything at all. Okay. There are exceptions. Like with everything that I am going to say, there are now exceptions and there's ways around the rules. Well, that's typical of many things. That doesn't surprise me. Just know that I'm talking in generalities. Mm -hmm. And if you want more specifics, contact your local seminary. But you should have your bachelor's degree, your normal four-year degree, and whatever it is that you have it in. And then seminary, you can go there to get a variety of different master's levels degrees. So it really depends on what you're aiming for or what you want to do with it. But this is a place for specific, sometimes denominationally affiliated, deep religious study. Okay. You use the term sometimes denomination affiliated. What does that mean? (laughs) It means that there are divinity schools that are not specifically affiliated with denominations. Oh, like your Harvard School of Divinity kind of thing. Exactly. And so you could go to seminary for a degree at a divinity school and go to somewhat a general divinity school study there, get basic theological education. But then if you want to be ordained within a specific denomination, you may need to go directly to that denomination's, one of their seminaries okay, for intentional training. Within our denomination, within the ELCA, we call that the Lutheran year. So if you have someone who's been to Yale or Harvard Divinity and they want to be ordained within the ELCA, they then have to go to one of our seven seminaries for a Lutheran year in order to get some core specific theological and ethics training that is intentionally our denominational background. Okay. So when you get to a school like this, the program itself, is it a bunch of electives? Is it one set course and you take your however many years through it? Or do you have choices? It really depends on what degree you're going for. Okay. So, for example, when I started seminary, my seminary education, I was going for a master's of theological studies. Which means you, what, you weren't necessarily planning to preach? Correct. It was a two-year degree program, and my intention at the time was to focus on pastoral care and counseling and then go on to get another degree, 
a master's in family therapy licensing. Okay. In order to combine therapeutic models and spirituality in a therapeutic practice. Okay. So my MTS would have been a pathway towards another degree. You could get an MA, a Master of Arts in Theology, do your two-year study, do your project at the end, and get your master's degree that way. The one that most people think about that is the seminary degree is the Master's of Divinity. Yeah, I never would have considered going to a seminary for anything other than Mm -hmm. being able to preach. Yep. So you can do those other degrees and probably a whole lot more that I don't know off the top of my head. An MA in church history or an MA in biblical literacy. Those are all potential master's degrees that you can receive that have nothing to do with whether or not you're going to be ordained into a denomination to become a rostered leader. That's fascinating. For the ELCA, in order to become a rostered leader of word and sacrament, you need to get an MDiv, Master's of Divinity. It's a four-year master's degree, okay. which is different. Most master's programs are two years. The MDiv is a four-year program. One of those years needs to be an internship. Mm-hmm. One of the changes that has happened since I've been in seminary is that it used to be a third-year internship. So you would have two years of instruction, get information, you'd go out and you'd live it for a year, and then you'd hightail it back to campus and learn what you didn't know before. (laughs) Sure, get some experience and figure out, wow, I'm missing this, this, and that. (laughs) Right. And it is very disruptive, particularly if you have people who are second career and have to move entire families. Sure. And so they've made a lot more effort to create space for fourth-year internships now. And so you can do all three years of your academic training and then go out on your internship. Interesting. Like I said, a lot of things have changed. And a lot of that has to do with financially making it feasible and sustainable. Yeah, two four-year degrees sounds like a lot. (laughs) Like a recipe for a ton of student debt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially when you consider potentially wherever that internship is. Mm-hmm. Because you might have to move a long way for that, right? Mm-hmm. Huh. And while you are paid on internship, you're not paid on internship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I did it, my internship was in 2002, 2003, and my stipend was $1,000 a month. <laughs> That's like none. (laughs) And I was here in the Portland area. Ooh. But they supplied housing Mm -hmm. and they did not supply health insurance. Mm. So I still took student loans that year in order to pay for the seminarian version of our denomination's healthcare plan because I'm asthmatic Mm -hmm. and pre-existing conditions were still something that really mattered then. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned people who do this as a second career. Is that something that's becoming more and more common? I think it's always been there. Okay. We had a student in our cohort who was in her mid to late 60s when she went to seminary for her MDiv and to be ordained. She is still serving. She's amazing. Fascinating. And so there's 
lots of opportunity, plenty of folks, plenty of folks do second career or after like a gap time, mm-hmm. go have another career and then come back. There were very few of us who did what I did, which was just barrel straight on through. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much the youngest you could get also partially because I started school year early. So I went straight from undergrad directly into seminary, directly into serving. Fascinating. I was real young. Okay. I got to get back to the program itself. Do you have like, here are your core classes that you have to take. And then when you get to a certain point, you get more electives or is it really much more of a set class course? My experience at the seminary that I attended was that it was about 50-50. Okay. And 50% of it was required kind of classes, church history from, you know, ancient church history to modern, basic ethics class, a class on the ELCA constitution. Woo! It sounds exciting. Oh, totally. Pastoral care and counseling the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, a Gospels class, a class on Paul, a class on the Confessions of Augsburg Confessions, a class on Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. Those were all core requirements. And some of those were part of the kind of core requirements someone would have had to take in that Lutheran year that I referenced. That's what I was going to ask. That makes sense. That's what that would be. Mm Mm-hmm. There was plenty of room within the curriculum then that you could take your own electives. You could take an extra preaching class if you wanted to. You could take extra pastoral care and counseling classes if that intrigued you. You could pull in an extra Bible class or two. You had to take a certain number of biblical studies classes, a certain number of systemic theology classes, a certain number of those different kinds of things. Well, that makes sense that you could at least tailor it somewhat. It's similar to any other degree that you would necessarily get where you would have a certain amount of choice depending on what your interest is. Exactly. And depending upon your seminary, we'll say how many different things are available to you to really open up that space. I went to Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, which is a part of the Graduate Theological Union. We refer to a lot of these things by letters. So PLTS is the name of the seminary we call it. Okay. And the Graduate Theological Union is the GTU. So the GTU, I believe at the time that I was there, there were nine different seminaries that were affiliated at the GTU. Okay. And they were all different denominations. So there was a seminary from the Presbyterians, from the Episcopalians, the Franciscans, the Jesuits, the Dominicans. There was an interfaith seminary, a general school of religion, the Lutherans and the Baptists. Fascinating. And so the course catalog for all of our seminaries. That must have been huge. Right? (laughs) Was published together. And you could take up to 50% of your classes from any of the other seminaries. Wow. And the registration process was the exact same. So that if I wanted to take preaching from the Baptists, or if I wanted to take church history from, you know, I ended up taking it from the Presbyterians, Mm -hmm. right? You could register for that just as easily as you could register for your own seminary's classes. And so that opened up 
a ton of unique opportunities to study, for example, crisis care and counseling with a Dominican, to study the Gospel of John with a Franciscan friar, to dig into funerals, death and dying with an Episcopalian. And all of these different pieces really gave opportunity to open up the theology and the opportunity. And in any of these classes, you would have people from any of those denominations together. It was a unique gift that Mm -hmm. PLTS offers. That is not the case at our other seminaries, but that is a unique particular gift of PLTS and that campus. The entire time we've been talking, I keep thinking that four years sounds like a really long time for another degree on top of a four-year degree. And yet Mm -hmm. at the same time, knowing what you have to do, four years sounds like not nearly enough time to be able to prepare (laughs) yourself. (laughs) Well, and it is changing a lot. We have other ways to bring people to ordination now. And like I said, it's not just the Masters of Divinity. It's not just the roster of Word and Sacrament. We have folks who are studying at our seminaries for the roster of Word and Service. Sure. So if you wanted to be a deacon, you'd go to a seminary. You could, absolutely. And there's lots of different pathways. We also have something called TEAM, which is a fantastic program, Theological Education for Emerging Ministries. And the team program really honors the fact that there are some people who are called out of specific climate, specific settings, particularly marginalized communities, Mm -hmm. who can't just leave and uproot their lives for four years to head off and sit on a hill and think about God, right? Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they are in their context already doing the work. And so these organizations, particularly folks for whom English is a second language, particularly communities of color, communities of additional marginalization, they lift up leaders naturally from within their own community, but may not have either the resources or the time to be able to leave and go to seminary. So the team program leaves you in place doing your ministry, gives you a mentor, And twice a year, you go to campus, or during COVID, you spend the week online Mm -hmm. doing your in-depth, deep theological education. And then the rest of your work is done in context. It's a different path to becoming a rostered leader, but it is as viable and as powerful a path as going to seminary and sitting on campus for a four-year Master of Divinity. Sure. Okay. Does everyone pass? No. No? No, and this actually isn't even the process of candidacy. Oh, okay. Seminary is not completely separate, but it is a separate process from candidacy. So you could go to seminary and do your entire degree program and not be approved to become an ordained leader in the denomination. That's kind of blowing my mind. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine what that would be like. It is devastating for people. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe that we've done a podcast on candidacy before and the three different interviews and the different stages that they take you through. And if not, maybe that's next week's topic. Sounds good to me to talk about how candidacy happens alongside of the educational component because it's, it is alongside, but they are separate. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, lots of folks. I'd say, so my class, PLTS is the smallest of our seminaries. And the years that I was there, I believe that our class began with around 18 or 20 MDiv students. I think less than a dozen of us graduated. Oh, wow. Our MDivs. For some reason, I keep thinking that number is going to be much bigger than it is. Well, and across the country, across all seven of our seminaries, you might get 150 graduates per year, 200 graduates per year. I'm way off on my numbers. I'm not a bishop. I don't have to know the numbers, but (laughs) there's a, a much larger group across the entire country. Sure. And it's not the same number that go in and start the program because there's various different points, either through candidacy where people stop or through the discernment. You go out and you do your CPE units over a summer. You do your clinical pastoral education in a hospital or in a prison over a summer. Uh And you get deep into that and you realize and recognize this is not what you thought it would be. Mm. And you're out, right? And take a step back. And that's not even an internship, right? That's a completely different component. You have to do that before you're eligible for an internship. Interesting. When I was there, cross-cultural education also had to be done before your internship. Do you feel like in all of this, there are certain parts that were missing when you actually got into being a pastor? And it can be as silly and nuts and boltsy as, I didn't realize I needed to know how to make a website or that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it really depends upon... Again, in some ways, the seminary and what's available to you. So when I got back from internship for my fourth year, I recognized that I really needed that kind of administrative church structure stuff. Uh And that while I had done a lot of focusing on learning how to take care of people and be present in an ethical way, that I had not learned about what systems theory was Mm -hmm. in a deeper way. I had gotten the basics. So when I got back, I took conflict and congregational systems Mm -hmm. and... Some of these sounds like they should be core classes, right? right? But they weren't offered at PLTS. They were offered down the hill at one of the other seminaries. Oh, fascinating. And so I took a couple of classes. I took one and I audited one that were specifically around that kind of work. Leadership and congregational systems and conflict and congregational systems were the two that I took across that year. And they were priceless, but yes, I agree. They should have been core requirements. Mm -hmm. They weren't at the time. They might be now, Hmm. right? Because things are changing. Mm -hmm. And it also seems like technology is playing so much of a larger role in things. I would hope that that gets more of a, some sort of a class too. I would hope. I don't know. And I will say that one of the incredibly useful things that happened to me I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but in the year that I was waiting for a call, because I'm a woman in ministry and that is normal that we wait for a call, I ended up serving as a church secretary. And that was... That's got to be an eye-opening experience. Priceless. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know any of what I know about building a bulletin. Uh Uh-huh how to even understand what copyright is and what our responsibilities are and how to report it. If I hadn't spent a year making bulletins, doing newsletters, running a website, doing the copyright reporting, 
knowing what a risograph is uh -huh. and what the difference between a photocopier and a risograph is so that when you go in to suddenly be responsible for, are we using the Rizzo or are we using the photocopier and what's the difference between them and how do you know when you should use one over the other? All that stuff. It was a priceless year. Ah, uh, it's fascinating. How much is music a component to this? I mean, thinking about our last podcast being about picking music, there's a fair amount of seeing that happens, at least there could be. And then just knowledge of that kind of stuff seems like it would be helpful. It was like a liturgy class and planning worship was one class that was required. Uh -huh. You could take an elective to get more information, but the rest is really just what you choose to make of it. And then any continuing education that you choose to take. That's fascinating. Yeah. And there's not like voice lessons as a part. So that yeah. still blows my mind. And the chanting is hard. I have to say that for those of us who didn't grow up in the church or for whom the kind of traditional services are not normal, that when we suddenly are asked to chant the proper preface, it is really hard. Yeah. Like I'm a good singer. I'm an okay musician. I can't really plunk the notes on the piano even. Like I, I don't mm -hmm. have those skills. But like when a church asks me to, it is indeed right and tell you, Terry, that we should do it all times sure. and in all places. That's, that's hard. Yeah. We went over it one week in oh, seminary. Man. And by the time it got to my turn, we had made the change from Lent to Easter season. Oh, man. And the Lent proper preface is super kind of short. And the Easter proper preface just goes on forever. I bet it does. It's like with Mary Magdalene and Peter and all the witnesses of the resurrection with earth and sea and sky and a cherubim and seraphim and angels and archangels. We. That's a lot. I was so lost. <laughs> Is there any kind of continuing education when it comes to this whole profession? Yes. So we're encouraged to participate in continuing education every year. Okay. We have two weeks of continuing education time every year that is allotted to us. And the congregations put in a certain amount of money and we are expected individually to also contribute towards the costs of, of continuing education as, as well. Okay. So there are opportunities. You have to seek them out. Okay. And you have to make your decisions on what they are and how you use that time. That makes sense. Okay. So if anybody's curious about seminary, where would you suggest they go try to find some information? Well, if you are interested about seminary out there listening to us, I would say you're welcome to reach out to me. Pastor at centralportland.org. I am delighted to talk to you about seminary and the experience and answer questions and those kinds of things. If you are in the ELCA and you're curious about ELCA seminaries, you can go to elcaseminaries.org and learn more about our seven different seminaries. The pathway, it also will lead you into conversations about candidacy if you are feeling a call towards word and service or word and sacrament. And if you have a particular seminary that you are curious about, if you want to know about Luther, if you want to know about United, if you want to know about PLTS and the craziness that happens over on the West Coast, 
you can absolutely reach out to those admissions departments and ask for whatever information they want to offer. Our seminaries want to give you the info that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. And part of being a rostered leader in this denomination, we commit to helping people learn about this process. And we commit to help encourage and guide people and support them along this pathway. So it is a joy to get to talk to someone about it and a delight. I will also say it's expensive. Mm -hmm. It is very expensive. And the first person I talked to about seminary when I was curious about it, and I was had that beat in my heart that said, I think I might want to follow God's call. And I called the pastor and I told them, and he said, don't do it. It's so expensive. Well, you're going to be in so much debt. I'm going to guess that people understand it's not the highest paid profession out there either. Yeah. And it's real expensive to go to seminary and there's not a lot of scholarship money in those kinds of things. So there's more now Mm -hmm. than there was 20 years ago by far. And the ELCA Fund for Leaders really has done a great job in helping create access And not all of us get a full-ride scholarship. Mm -hmm. I will be paying my student loans until I retire. Wow. And that is just reality. I get to do what I love every single day of my life. And every penny of that is worth it to me. Because without these degrees, I would not be qualified to serve in the way that I do. So I do not regret it. And I will be paying this debt even on like a repayment plan. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I will be paying this until I retire. And so it is a real concern. It is something to be wise about. Mm -hmm. And if this is the call, listen and follow. It's worth it. Well, I think you just answered my last question, which was going to be, would you go back? And it sounds like given everything, you squarely would. I would. And I wish that it wouldn't land me in the kind of debt load, the educational debt that I have And that does impact my capacity to be able to serve. That's the thing is that I can't accept less than guidelines. Mm -hmm. And I can't really afford to work less than full time because our student loan debt, my student loan debt is high enough that I can't take those risks that maybe other folks could take if they didn't have this kind of a debt load. At the same time, I would absolutely go back. Yeah. And... There are pathways to go with team that is less expensive and causes less debt burden. And there are pathways to not spend as much money. I loved my time at PLTS and it formed and shaped me in powerful, powerful ways that I have no regrets for the amount that I have paid for that. So that's my answer. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about seminary. I look forward to sitting down with you next week when we talk about candidacy (laughs) and beyond. As do I. And in the meantime, again, if you have specific questions about candidacy or you have particular ideas about things that you would want to know about, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org or reach out to me particularly at pastor at centralportland.org. And you can always, if these things are sparking curiosity in your heart, reach out to your synod and talk to the candidacy coordinator for your synod. It's an amazing pathway to begin on. 
and I have no doubt that God is with you on it. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.